Welcome everyone to episode 44 of the Average Ontario Anglers Fishing Podcast. This is a podcast where a bunch of average guys tell you average facts that will make you laugh in an average way. Isn't that right, Andrew? (laughs) I I definitely laugh averagely. Yeah. So anyway, if this is your first time to this podcast, welcome. Again, this is a show where a bunch of average guys that try to fish as much as possible and sometimes catch fish, but we're going to share with you what we've learned over the last, how long have we been fishing, Andrew? Together anyway. Uh, Over a decade easily. (laughs) Yeah. Well, two decades almost. (laughs) We're getting old. Anyway, (laughs) this episode is pretty cool. Challenging challenges that challenge anglers. (laughs) That's a tongue twister right there. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the challenges that someone may face getting into fishing or just the challenges of actually just being an angler. What we did was we asked our Patreons and also some of the people on, on Instagram as well to send in some of the challenges that they face or maybe they think that other people may face. So we have about 10 really good ones that we're going to cover today. And I think it's going to be a really great show. But before we do that, we have, as tradition states, an interesting fishing fact. And this one is going to be done by, this is new, dun, 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 the man with the beard, Andrew. <laughs> I'm not the only one growing a beard. Jesse is too. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. Good try. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Jesse and I, we, we've talked before about different fears and stuff like that fishermen may have or that we have uh it could be considered a challenge sometimes to get over a fear so it kind of fits in with today's topic but jesse if you had to name something that you are fearful of when fishing what would it be you and i share this fear (laughs) i know exactly what you're talking about say it out loud (laughs) there's only one thing that jesse the most manly person that i know myself is afraid of (laughs) He only has me as a friend, so that's that's a true statement. It's the manliest person he knows is himself. The only thing that'll truly make me scared is if I'm in the water, snapping turtles. Yep. Yep. Doesn't everyone love snapping turtles? They're super cool. (laughs) I I do. I actually think they're amazing. So I did a bunch of research on them. I will just add one thing, though. Snapping turtles for me are like spiders. I'm cool with them as long as I know where they are. Yes. Okay. If I'm in a boat and they're in the water, I have zero fear. Like, I'm just excited to see one. If I'm in the water and they're in the water, I have a bit of fear. And if yes. I'm on land and they're on land, I just, okay, I can walk faster than they can run. So that's all right. So snapping turtles, the average size that we can encounter them when they're fully grown is maybe like 12 inches long of the, the, the carapace, the shell is 12 inches long. Plus they have the tail and they have their head sticking out. Uh, on average, an adult weighs about 35 pounds or so, but... Do you know what the record size common snapping turtle? That's the that's there's in North America we have the alligator snapping turtle down in the states. We don't have any of those in Ontario, thank goodness. They're huge, uh, but we have the common snapping turtle, one of only five species in the world of snapping turtles, and we have them all over where we fish. Pretty much every single lake I've ever been in or pond, I can guarantee you has snapping turtles. So, do you know what the record snapping turtle uh, weight is? Okay, so you said they average 35 pounds. They average 35 pounds. I'm going to double it and add seven. <laughs> That'd be 77 pounds. The record's 75 pounds. Whoa! <laughs> nice. 75 pound snapper. Oh, uh, my double it the thing shell size. The shell size. Now, I've definitely seen ones that are bigger than a 12 inch shell, like lengthwise. I know even at the cottage growing up, we've seen a few and they're, they range between 16, 17 the biggest one I've seen, I swear, has got to be about this size. Longest measured one, apparently, that I could find online was 19 inches. 
Now that's just the carapace. That's just the shell. Snapping turtles have the record for the turtles, the longest tail any turtle has. The tails can be as long as their shell. Snapping turtle, the common snapping turtle also can, with its head and neck fully extended, that also is about the length of their shell. So if you have a 19 inch shell plus a 19 inch tail or a 19 inch neck fully extended, that's 57 inches. That's four foot, nine inches long. <laughs> wow. That's a That's huge scary. turtle. <laughs> now, I've, I remember at the cottage, I saw one. Its head was about the size of a softball. Like, this is a huge snapper. But that's a, those are very rare, apparently, to get them into that size. But snapping turtles, they live about 40 years old or more. In the wild, it's sometimes around 30. But in captivity, they can live over 50. And the interesting thing is, uh, one of the interesting things is the scientific name for the snapping turtle, which I won't even bother trying to say. It means tortoise snake. That's the direct translation. So tortoise because it's a turtle, snake because it has a very long tail. And the species of snapping turtle that we have, uh, they say, they say scientists claim it's been around for 90 million years. So this thing is legitimately a dinosaur. <laughs> now, the something that you and I are always fearful of is of all the things about the snapping turtle, like the spiky tail, that's cool. Huge, like inch, like multiple inch long claws, like four inch claws yeah. and stuff. Those those are cool. But what are we scared of? The bite. The, <laughs> yeah. The mouth. <laughs> Yeah, the snap. Now, I was curious to see, like, everyone knows that's a formidable thing. You don't want to get your hand in your mouth because we've always been told they'll snap off a finger, right? Yeah. Now, the bite force of a snapping turtle, common snapping turtle, is 210 newtons. Now, to put that in perspective, humans, we have a bite force of 1,100 newtons on our second molar. So that's our, our prime spot for the most bite force. The difference is, though, snapping turtles though it might not sound like much, they have a sharp edged jaw. So that means that their jaw that you see just comes up to a fine edge. It basically like scissors. Oh. <laughs> so unlike us where we have, you know, our jaw and then there's teeth and then we have whatever else in the way when we're biting, their jaw is just straight, like fixed edge is part of their jaw and they just snap that shut. So absolutely, they have taken off fingers off people before. That is a thing that will happen. But they don't just attack humans. That's not what they eat, obviously. But they will eat, uh, they're omnivores. So they'll eat anything from different plants to fish, worms, bugs, birds, frogs, even other turtles. And it's been found that they will disembody the other turtles to eat them. <laughs> so they're pretty aggressive that way. When they're in water. So this is funny because you and I both say that I don't want to be in the water with a snapping turtle. Yeah. Now, growing up, going camping, my dad, he'd see one, he would like dive in the water and swim after it. It's known that snapping turtles are actually very calm in the water. They get aggressive when they're out of the water. Fair. <laughs> so I was thinking about speed, like how fast does a snapping turtle move around and stuff like that. When they're in water, they can swim 12 miles per hour or 19.3 kilometers per hour. That's how fast they can swim. That's pretty quick. <laughs> That's very quick. So your your canoe goes how fast, Jesse? Miles? I don't know what it is in miles. No, but... kilometers per hour. Oh, kilometers. Uh, I can hit like 12, 13 kilometers an hour. So a turtle can outpace you by like six kilometers an hour. <laughs> I want to race a turtle now because you know my canoe is actually <laughs> named the fish turtle. Yes. <laughs> now, what about on land? How fast can a snap common snapping turtle move on land? Now, not many people may know this, but snapping turtles can run. They're still not crazy fast. They are a turtle after all, but they can run at 2.4 miles per hour or 3.86 kilometers per hour. So running, you know, they're not that fast, but I'll tell you what, when you're six feet away from them, they can move pretty quick. 
<laughs> yeah, a lot quicker than you would expect them to, which then becomes terrifying. Now, we already talked about the snapping turtle. This is the last most fascinating fact for me about these things. We know that they have the world record for the longest tail of any turtle. They have another world record. They're the best at jumping, the best jumping turtles. So other, other turtles, they can jump maybe four inches. A snapping turtle, guess, guess how high in relation to its body size. How high do you think it can jump? Like as as a human, I could jump personally maybe one okay. third of my height, um, <laughs> or may, let's say one half of my height. It could jump over. I'm gonna say one hundred percent of its body height. It can jump. They can jump higher than its body length. <laughs> what? So so yeah, if you have like a two foot turtle, it can jump over two feet in the air. My How question terrifying is, it, is that? Can it bite you as it jumps? Yes. Yes, it can. Okay. So that's even more terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) And you and I have actually seen a turtle jump before. It was sitting up on a log and we're motoring up to it. And all of a sudden you would yelled at it. And instead of what we normally saw was this turtle would kind of flop over off this log it's sitting on going into the water. This thing jumped, did a 180 in the air and then landed back on the log and then started like flipping as it fell into the water. (laughs) But it jumps and like spins around on you. So even though it can only run so fast, if you're going to attempt to try and pick this up, let's say you see a big snapper trying to cross the road and you want to save it, do not be surprised if this thing jumps two feet in the air, whips around, tries to bite you as you're approaching behind it. That's what these things can do. Now I'm more scared. <laughs> so the last question I have then is how do you move a snapping turtle? Let's say there is one crossing the road and you want to get it to safety. What is the best, safest way to move the snapping turtle? What would you do, Jesse? I have picked them up a few times. I actually picked one up that mm-hmm. was fair size. Oftentimes you see people pick them up by the shell, but because their neck is really long, I assume that if you hold it too close up, it could probably just reach back and bite you. If you grab the left and right hand side of the shells, they can get you. Yeah. I've seen people pick them up by the tail, but that seems possibly bad for the turtle. Just like holding it up yes. by its full weight on its tail. I think the best way to, to move a snapping turtle is literally not to. <laughs> so there are a couple of ways to do it. There are some kind of expert level handling methods to literally pick up a turtle. It's best not to, not with a common snapping turtle. You'll see down in the States that the alligator snapping turtle, they'll grab, they'll wrap one hand up right behind the head, hold onto that shell and hold right above their tail in the shell, lift that thing up and the thing cannot bite them. Not the case with our common snapping turtle. When you try and get your hand up over the top of that shell, there's a very good chance they can still get their head around and bite you. You can grab just kind of above the base of the tail and kind of lift up on the backside and and maybe drag it across the road that way. You don't want to grab onto the tail, like you said. But again, you're still putting yourself in danger because by the time you're going trying to grab the thing by the tail and it feels you touch it, it can jump around and bite you. So they say the best method to do it is, let's say... Most commonly for doing this is because it's on the road. You've pulled over in your car. So take out one of your longest car mats that you have. Set it on the ground in front of the turtle. Take a long stick and kind of prod it or poke it or move it onto the car mat. And then you can grab the edge of that car mat and drag it across the road and just kind of dump it off at the side. That way you don't actually have to touch the turtle. And it should be far enough away that it's not going to be able to, to bite you. Still use caution. If you are unsure of how to move it, just leave it. Uh, if you are comfortable doing so, then save the turtles and then i guarantee some guy will be like it works great guys he puts up his thumb but there's half a thumb there (laughs) (laughs) that was very interesting i i actually i find snapping turtles fascinating i just don't like the possibility of getting any dangling body parts bit off when i'm swimming (laughs) but hey 
They're cool. I think we're gonna have to make that a series because that is not even close to all the snapping turtle facts you can come up with. No, no, I didn't even get into their actual snapping speed and whatnot. Turtles are the <laughs> new loons. <laughs> I'm gonna give you an interesting fishing fact rating of 96%. How did I lose that last 3% or 4%, I should say? I'll tell you later. I'll counsel you privately. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, thanks for that. Uh, the interesting fishing fact is a really cool segment. We like to do it almost every episode because it's topics and interesting things that we ourselves find intriguing. It may be something that you haven't thought of before or you just didn't know. And we can all learn from each other. And me and Andrew, especially Andrew, loves doing the research. So we're going to find these little juicy, interesting facts. And hopefully during the, the segment, you're just nodding your head going, interesting. Or maybe you're like, I already knew that, but still funny. <laughs> but anyway, back to the main topic. Before we get into our main topic, actually, we would just like to thank our Patreon members. Our Patreon members are a bunch of cool guys and girls who shoot us a few bucks every every month to help cover the costs of the show. So if you enjoy listening to this show every single week and all the effort that we put into it, make sure to check out the link in the bio or the, the show notes below for our Patreon account to help support the show. We also thank you for leaving a review. We had a lot of them recently. We really appreciate the reviews on Apple and Spotify as well on YouTube as well. So this week's episode, our giveaway partner is our buddy Beeline Bates. We actually did a giveaway with him last year and it was a fantastic one. This one's a little bit different and it's way better. <laughs> So Frank at Beeline Bates, he's a super nice guy. I've talked to him many times. I'm hoping this year that I'm finally going to meet him. Like I'll see him at one of the fishing shows or something, but he makes a lot of cool baits. In fact, I grabbed some right here. These are the coolest baits that I think he makes. He makes a lot of cool ones, but I know Andrew will probably agree with me on this. I know this is, if you're listening to this on an audio podcast, you won't see this, but I'll do my best to describe it. <laughs> Look at these swim baits. He makes these big, like six inch swim baits. They're like big bass, pike, musky, even big wally would smash this. He has fantastic, like, I, okay, I don't know because I don't legit pour baits, but you see a lot of people make baits, but he has some really, really good patterns. Just patterns mm -hmm. that you're like, that looks really good. Yeah. Not just good, like a lot of baits look good, but you know that it's a fishy color. Like it's a color that fish are actually going to want to smash. Super natural colors. I know it's ice fishing season. I'm showing you big, like, you know, big bass swim baits right now, but <laughs> I'm just showing you some of his, some of his cool work that I have right here. But the cool thing about Frank at Beeline Baits is he also makes a lot of ice fishing baits. So our giveaway this week is actually going to be, if you're interested in ice fishing, I know a lot of you guys and girls don't like ice fishing or you don't, you don't get out enough. Definitely the giveaway is basically going to be ice fishing baits, but if you don't ice fish, talk to Frank, he'll hook you up with something else. So that's the, the giveaway sponsor of this week. We're going to talk a little bit more about that after. So we're going to get into our main topic here, which is challenging challenges that challenge anglers. <laughs> I have to rename it that. When you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> the title is probably going to be different, but I thought that was pretty funny. I like to make the titles slightly comedic at times. So the first one we had, again, we reached out to our Patreon members. They kind of get top priority because they're the ones supporting the show. We're going to answer their questions first, and then we're going to go to other forms of social media. So we're kind of a mix of those two. So if we didn't get to your question, we'll try to get to it in the future. Unfortunately, these podcasts, we don't want to ramble on too long. Me and Andrew could talk for hours and you guys would fall asleep, but we try to keep it And not hours. just about snapping turtles either. We could talk yeah. about anything. Andrew could talk about the paku, the ball nipping fish. <laughs> the ball nipper. <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> Gross. Anyway, so these are challenges. Like Andrew, what would you say? Would you say fishing is challenging to get into compared to other sports or hobbies? 
I would say yes. It has its it has its own. Like definitely the answer is yes, but it may not be for the reasons that people think of. Yeah. Like if if you want to go into and any other hobby pretty much, you have designated areas you can go and do it. You want to go play basketball, you go to a local basketball court that they have set up. You want to play tennis, do the same thing. Want to play golf, you go to a golf course. With fishing and again, in most of those places, if there's specialty equipment, when you're going to the places where you can, you know, play it, oftentimes they'll rent the equipment out. You know, squash, racquetball, even golf. Like you can go rent your equipment if you want to try it out. Skiing, snowboarding. But for fishing, I don't know of a place where you actually go and rent unless maybe, you know, a pay to fish pond or something like that but where can you go and rent some fishing gear without actually getting a a guide for the day (laughs) yeah you know where you can actually get some get to do stuff so there's a bit more of a learning curve before you can actually get out there and start to do it and a bit more of perhaps upfront cost than than might be expected as well yeah so say like for instance say you want to like your hobby is skateboarding you can buy a skateboard and maybe some safety equipment i don't know if people use that Sound like an old man. Make sure you wear your helmet. <laughs> but you could be out, you know, skateboarding. I don't know how much a skateboard costs, but like, you know, you could be out the door for a few hundred bucks and have a nice skateboard and some stuff and, and have your hobby. But fishing, on the other hand, it may seem, I think a lot of people think just from watching, you know, fishing shows or looking on Instagram that you need all this equipment. But we're going to talk a little bit about that. Like, what, what are the challenges like you may face, like looking at these things like Instagram, fishing magazines, fishing shows, like, do you need all that stuff? That's a challenge, I think, for people that are getting into the sport. So we're going to cover about 10 or 11. I think we have 11 here. And the first challenge that I had a lot of people say, one of the challenges, finding places to fish. Like Andrew said, like if you play basketball, you're obviously going to go here or you can even like, you know, play in front of your house if you if you live on a side street, right? <laughs> but with fishing, it may sound a lot easier than it is depending on where you live. Now, if you live in like Northern Ontario or even like two hours north of, you know, the lake out of the GTA, there's probably a lot of places you can fish. So this is probably going to be more for like people that live in the city compared to like up north. There may be spots that you think you can fish, but you can't fish. You know, it's like, oh, no fishing here or this is this is private property or there's signs that say no fishing. So like I find like if you live Mm -hmm. up north or you live out of the GTA, like this is an Ontario fishing podcast. So if you're listening from the States, like the Toronto area has more than 10 million people in it. It's packed. There are creeks that run up. There's the lake. There's a bunch of ponds. There's you know, some of the Kortha lakes are still like, they're out of the GTA, but they're close. There are a lot of options to fish, but at the same time, you are limited compared to someone that lives up north that has, you know, oh, I drive five minutes down the road and there's three boat launches, mm-hmm. you know. So it can as, be definitely challenging. As an example, like I used to live in Coburg, Ontario, which a lot of people from the city would recognize. They love going to Coburg Beach. It's a cool beach. The difficult part is trying to fish anywhere on the waterfront is next to impossible. Because you have beachfront, there's nothing there. You know that fish are going to hold a structure. It's okay, where's the structure that I have access to? Well, you can walk along the whole uh, boardwalk area. There's a whole harbor there. But all of that is bylaw, no fishing from the property. Yeah. So even though you have access there, there are times there's no one around. It's not a danger to do so, but it's still against the bylaw to do it. And you'll look down in the water and you see tons of fish. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, this is, there's no other really area unless you're fishing in the creeks there that is public access to good fishable water from shore it's not available so i I think a lot of times you you compare your circumstances or other people's circumstances to your own so like a lot of people are like oh you know 
I fish, you know, I, I just go fishing every day before work or I, I, I fish all the time, but they live near a lake or they have that circumstance. And you may live in say like a place like Andrew's talking about where there's only like one or two places to fish and one of them you can't fish because it's against the law, <laughs> you know? So sometimes if you fish and you're getting into it, just realize that maybe where you're living, there isn't as many opportunities close to your house and you may have to drive or put more effort in to get to places that are harder to get to or farther away and fish less. So you may not be able to fish every day. You can still fish. There's still opportunities out there, but you may have to focus your time more on putting a little more time in traveling to these places or getting to these spots to actually get out fishing. So you shouldn't really compare yourself to others. Everyone lives in different areas. I know a lot of guys that live up north are like, oh man, I fish all the time. I live like right by the lake. But if you live in say like Toronto or Scarborough or something like that, you may not be able to get out fishing even like once a week. It depends on your circumstance. We're going to get more into that later, but finding fishing locations can be hard. But even if you are someone that fishes regularly every weekend, you try to get out, you know, spring, summer, fall, finding locations, you look at a map and you're like, wow, Ontario has so many lakes. You know how many there are? Like there's a bunch of Kawartha lakes down by us. There's lakes everywhere. You you zoom in on the map and boom, like thousands and thousands pop up within driving distance of your house. And you're like, where do I fish? Like, what do I do? What, what, what's one thing that you would recommend to do if you're trying to pick a lake? So the first thing is, it depends on if I'm fishing from shore or if I'm planning to bring a canoe or if I'm planning to launch a small boat. If I'm, you know, going backwards on that list, if I'm going to launch a boat and the first thing I look for is, can I find any boat launches? If it's any, uh, canoes, uh, if I want to get to a lake by, by canoe, it may be easier to access because then I can start looking at be surrounding rivers flowing into it. So maybe there's no access on that lake itself. Might be all cottages around it or something like that. But maybe there's, doesn't mean the lake itself is privately owned. It's just the property around it. There's no public access to. But sometimes you can get in upstream on a creek and take your boat in if the river's big enough. So then you start looking for any access points. You could drop your canoe in off the side of the road or something like that. Or even then from a... Uh, shore fishing perspective, taking a look to see if there are any, if there are boat launches, great. That's public access to water. Uh, sometimes just even any regular park, they have access on the waterfront. And as long as there's no sign saying no fishing or a bylaw in place, you can fish from those areas. It's public property. And again, you can also fish, fish rivers flowing in and out of rivers or fish rivers flowing in and out of these lakes that maybe a road passes over. So you have, you know, fish off the bridge or, or close to the bridge. But again, stay alert. Some of those bridges, they'll have no fishing signs on them. Yep. So there's there's plenty of opportunities for people to find lakes. And we talked about, about this last podcast, about like how to find lakes to fish. And we talked a bit about some of the apps that we use to find launches, to find lakes like this and where to fish in those lakes. So if you didn't listen to last week's podcast, I highly recommend that because we kind of went more in depth about how to find these launches and places like that. So definitely there is a lot of opportunities in Ontario, finding places to fish. I mean, you can talk to people too, like make friends on Instagram. We're going to get more into that after, but like you can find places to fish. Fishing though, you don't expect people just to give you their, their honey holes right away. When you're finding spots, like we all went through this, like I've been fishing my whole life. You have to sometimes waste time finding spots or finding spots that are terrible that you're not going to go back to put in the steps, find the spots, or put in the time out on the lake or driving, finding these spots. But you can do research and you can find good fishing spots. 
there's like, we live in Ontario. This isn't like, you know, Arizona where there's like seven lakes. Like this is Ontario. We have like over a quarter of a million lakes. Like there's tons of them. So like you can find them and guess what? Most of them have fish in them. A lot of fish. (laughs) The other thing I'd mentioned too is thinking of what you want to fish for. So just an example with Jesse and I, he grew up fishing for uh, stream trout and steelhead and doing the salmon run. That's what he fished for because living down you know, close to in the GTA, uh, growing up there, he's fishing the local harbor, fishing the rivers coming in and out. Whereas I have never, I had never done that. I've never fished for steelhead. I'd never fished for stream trout, never fished for salmon until I had a car pretty much and could drive down to meet Jesse. But where I lived up by Lake Simcoe, I would go ice fishing for perch all the time. I would go fish small local streams and be catching, you know, creek chub or catching small you know, smallmouth or rock bass and stuff that were native to the creeks. So things like that, there's a variety of uh, of options for available to you. So it may not be if you're looking and seeing, I love seeing all these steelhead guys, but guess what? I live by the Kawarthas and I can't drive very far. Well, there's no steelhead there. <laughs> so you got to figure out what can I fish for? Well, let's see what's around you. So if you are trying to get into the hobby, uh, see first maybe what's accessible what form of fishing or species is accessible around you because the more accessible it is the more likely you're going to be able to actually get more invested and enjoy it more for sure definitely so we're going to get into the second point is one challenge that many anglers face especially in our area i would say is fishing pressured lakes now i know we talk a bit we talked a bit about this last year because like me and andrew we fish a lot of the kawartha lakes because like we said they're within an hour, hour and a half of our house. And for us, like on a weekend, if we're just fishing for the day, we have a, like, we work full time. We have other responsibilities on the weekend. So if we can get out for one day, we can't drive legit three, four hours to a lake fish and then drive three or four hours home. That doesn't even make sense. Too exhausted, too much, you know, we're not 21 anymore. So we're going to drive to these lakes, usually the Kortha lakes, but generally in the summer, they're pressured, really pressured. and. What I have started doing, and this is a tip, if possible, and I know like we discussed just before, like you can have the most drive in the world to go fishing, but if you have to work and have a nine to five, you can't fish. You got to go to work. Okay. (laughs) That's the reality of it. Some guys are like, oh man, I have so much drive. I fish every day and blah, blah, blah. That's cool. I'm glad your circumstances allow that. But in reality, most people, that's not even an option. You got to go to work. But if you can take off a day once in a while, not all the time. What I've noticed is like I fish this one Kortha Lake on the weekend, hammered boats, jet skis, you know, pleasure craft, like pontoon boats everywhere. Guys fishing like crazy. Every spot you hit that's main, like main lake points. They've already been fished probably five times, 20 times before you've got there, right? There's 50 boats anchored everywhere. But if you go on a Friday, Friday morning before the weekend, there's no one out there. Maybe like one or two boats. That's it. Just like cottagers. There's no one out there, but on the weekend, the next day, there's like everything. So if you are living and near uh, one of these lakes, or that's the lake you want to fish, you decide to fish and you really want to fish that take a vacation day if possible and fish not on the weekend. (laughs) I know that's like, that's a cop-out answer for sure. But (laughs) I have had some of my best days, especially musky fishing in the Quarthas on like Friday. I, I used to have Mondays off. Monday is not the best day I find because 
the fish got hammered all weekend long and they're just like, you know, shell shock. But Friday before the weekend, that's the day. <laughs> Take that day off or any day like Wednesday to Friday. That that would be the first step if you can do that. But like Andrew said, sometimes you can't do that. You got to go to work, right? And something else to think about too, if you want to get into fishing because you're seeing these fishing shows, you're seeing these other videos being made by people where this is their their job to create this content, to put it up there. I, I just think of the Fish in Canada guys, like they've like the best fishing show out there, but they fish only midweek for that yeah. show. Yeah. That's their nine to five. That's, that's their five day a week. They go, they do a shoot. They're not fishing it on the weekend. They're going up and they're driving up Monday or early, late Sunday or something like that. And they're fishing it all midweek. So this stuff that they're, they're going to have a better opportunity and not to say they never go out fishing on a weekend, but if you ask them, like, would you rather try and shoot a show? when there's a bunch of other stuff in the water and do you think you're going to catch your best fish on the weekend or midweek? I can guarantee you what their answer is going to be. Yeah. So again, the whole thing of your circumstance is different than other people's. So if you can't take a day off and you have to fish on the weekend, which is for the majority of people between the ages of say like 25 and 55, <laughs> that's probably what you're going to have to do. Everyone's in the same boat. That's why the lakes are busy on the weekend. <laughs> yeah. So if you do have to fish on the weekend, and you're fishing pressured water that's getting hammered, and you have to fish that lake, the next point we're going to say is don't fish those lakes. But if you have to fish this these lakes, you have to finesse. And Andrew's a pro at this. So give us some of your finesse tips. So let's just say bass, or just yep. in general, what are you going to do to finesse some bites? So first of all, I can fish the same techniques that everyone else has been, but just downsize. So instead of fishing, you know, a full size, you know, lunker hunt frog or your scum frog, whatever, go down to the pocket frog. Go down to a more finesse style topwater. Fish the same areas. Fish the same way that everyone else is, just with lighter gear or lighter baits. Uh, even uh, going down to drop shot or, or Ned rig, everyone's throwing you know five inch wacky worms, and I go and I throw in a, a two and a half or three inch Ned bait. I'll probably get bit a lot faster than me just throwing yet another five inch wacky worm. So downsize is is key. You can still fish the same areas. Uh, even downsizing doesn't mean that you have to get rid of all, you know, go full BFS and get rid of all your heavy gear. Like you can still catch with a heavy action rod or medium heavy rod. You can still fish those, those weed lines, still fish those weeds with the frog top water. Just make sure that it's heavy enough to be able to cast it still and, and fish it with your regular combo. For sure. Downsizing is like the main thing you're saying. I think if you look at kind of the trends in bass fishing in Ontario, like I don't care about the stuff down South, like in the States, like Bassmaster stuff irrelevant to here generally like if you live up here and fish like say the Korth is like we said i don't really care what's happening on okeechobee like that has nothing to do with me <laughs> you know it's irrelevant but if you see the trends in ontario bass fishing tournaments you notice what these guys are fishing they're fishing it seems like every year the baits are getting more and more finesse like it's like drop shots always been a huge thing up here in ontario but you notice like a lot of these like small little like plastics with little like tentacles coming out of them and little like finesse baits and tiny like compact jigs and stuff like that to catch these fish like they're fishing smaller and more finessey and stealthy presentations and those are the guys that are literally cleaning up and winning these tournaments on like scugog you know rice lake places like that it's not like back in the day where they're just like flipping a big black and you know blue jig with a big pork rind on the back you know it's the opposite and still catching big fish and like i mentioned before if, if you had to fish these pressured lakes you know finesse another tip would be not to fish the heavily pressured lakes like the, you may have a lake that we all do it like we have a lake that we like oh it's a really good musky lake let's go and you go and you don't catch anything several days in a row <laughs> but 
maybe fish other lakes that don't have as big of a like maybe they they're not as legendarily as good as some of the other more popular lakes but when you get to those lakes there's way less people fishing and i'd rather fish on a lake that's not as good with way less people on it than a lake that has technically better fish in it but there's like 500 boats out there so that's another tip and my last tip would be fish at night night fishing is awesome and no one does it very few people do it i caught my biggest largemouth at 11 p.m at night 6.4 pounds largemouth have not caught one that big since at night in a super heavily pressured area in the Corthos. It's not like, I know a lot of people fish till they can't see like, oh, it was 9.30 and we're still fishing. I'm I'm talking like 11, 12, 1, 2 a.m. in the morning. Make sure you're safe. We're not going to get into the boat safety of fishing at night, but like make sure you have all the safety equipment and lights and everything. But you can fish those same spots that get hammered throughout the day. And those bass or musky or walleye or whatever you're fishing for bury into the weeds or bury into structure. They come out to feed at night and you're out there now with your baits right where they're, they're swimming and you catch giant fish. It's really, and it's really exciting unless you see a big snapping turtle, <laughs> then it's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The next point is a lot of people may find it challenging with the cost of equipment. We kind of got into this before, but things we know in this economy have gotten ridiculously expensive, like really expensive. Like what's one example you thought of like the last time you're in the fishing store and you looked at it and you're like, they cost that much now? Like what was the last thing? <laughs> Just a basic like husky jerk. Remember those things were like $5.99, you know, like yeah. if the hot, the, the premium Rapalas were seven bucks a piece. And yeah. now like I remember X-Raps came out, they were seven bucks or seven ninety nine or something like that. Now you go to buy an X-Raps, they're almost 20 bucks. Or even a pack of sinkers. Remember like the, the split shot sinkers you get, the water gremlin sinkers? And it was like, I remember 99 cents. Yeah. 99 cents or maybe a dollar twenty or something like that for a pack. Yeah, you go get a pack of hooks and like, oh, I just want to do some wacky rig fishing. I'll get a pack of octopus hooks and you're going to be spending, you know, eight bucks for five hooks. It's like, they're hooks. <laughs> so anyway, everything's everything's getting expensive and like rods and reels, same thing. Like every year you'll notice like, oh, like, this company, they had this reel and it cost this much. Well, we upgraded it this year and it's basically the same thing anyway. And then they're like, oh, it also costs $50 more. <laughs> it's like, it's the same thing. So I think that's one thing. If you're just getting into the sport, you don't have to spend like, like we said, if you're watching fishing shows, you know, YouTubers that are pushing product, uh, Instagram guys that have tons of gear or Instagram accounts that are pushing product, they're all salesmen. They, The whole system of the fishing industry, they make you think that you need these products to catch fish. Like you need, oh man, this rod's so sensitive. You'll never feel a bite with anything less than this. (laughs) And by the way, it's $700. Now I'm not saying that having a sensitive rod is a bad thing. If you can afford a $700 rod, that's great. You don't need that to get into the sport. Just remember if you're getting into fishing or if you're into fishing already and you're just looking to buy more gear, you don't need to buy super expensive stuff. I know a lot of people say, well, that, that cheaper stuff, it doesn't last. It does. (laughs) Like how much cheaper stuff do you have? Like stuff is pretty well built now. Like hundred dollar rods and reels are way better than they Mm -hmm. used to be. Now that being said, if you're talking about cheap stuff and you go to your local, uh, well, Walmart down in the States is completely different than Walmart up here. But let's say, you know, Canadian tire, your, your regular box store to get a combo and you buy the combo and it's like on sale for 30 bucks. Yeah, it's not going to be a great combo. You're going to go you know, spinning reel and, and with the bail closed, the handle is going to move forward and backwards about six inches. You know, you can still catch fish on that. But at the same time, I would go on the lower end. But if you actually go to a tackle store, 
buy you know a rod they have on sale it's you know half price regular 60 bucks now it's down to 30 and then you get a you know a, a cheap you know but good brand name spinning reel and you, you spend 50 bucks on that for under 100 bucks you get that spooled up still and you have a combo that that combo well that will last you for years now especially being the average fisherman you're not putting it to its paces like a tour tournament guy would where he's fishing you know full long days every single day 300 days out of the year yeah i could see it not lasting long for one in that case but if you're fishing maybe a total of two weeks over the course of the year because that's how many vacation days you have <laughs> it'll last you years exactly so like the same as like with tools, like me and Andrew both work with tools for a living. But say say you're a DIY person and you just do little projects in your house and you buy a DIY tool. I'm not going to name the name, but everyone knows what it is. <laughs> that tool will probably last you for years and years and years because you only use it once or twice a year. But if you hand that budget tool to a professional, they'll probably break it in a few weeks or even a day because it's not meant to handle that abuse. The so same thing is if you're a tournament guy, you make a living fishing all the time, you have a fishing show that high-end gear may be essential for you and worth it in the long run because it'll last. But if you're just an average Joe like me and Andrew, you can get away with reasonably priced gear. And again, reasonably priced is going to be different for everyone. Like someone may say, I would never spend $100 on a fishing rod. And someone else would say, I would never spend $100 on a fishing rod. That's not enough. <laughs> you know. So buy the best gear you can afford. We always say that in the podcast. But I've noticed, for me, what I've noticed about myself is I've bought rods from all the way down to 30 bucks. And I'll tell you the best price point, if you're just getting into fishing rods is that 70 to a hundred dollar point. Like if you can spend a hundred dollars on a rod, that's where you start getting a really nice sensitive rod that'll last you. And you'll be happy with same with spinning reels. Once you spend that a hundred dollar point, you go from a cheap reel that like Andrew said, it's wobbly. It's kind of, you know, sketchy when you're rolled in. Once you get something about a hundred bucks and you reel it in, you're like, that's not bad. Mm -hmm. And then as you, you know, as, as your passion develops in the sport and maybe you get a little more, more money, you may want to buy some nicer gear. Not that it's necessary, but it's more enjoyable, right? Like Andrew recently bought a nice, really expensive reel last yeah. year. And like, what do you think about that? So it's, it's a BFS reel. It's amazing. I love it. Do I need it to cast the baits? No, I, c- I could go and buy a $30 combo, spinning combo and cast the same baits on it. But for my enjoyment, I know I, I love having this totally geared towards finesse presentation bfs rod and reel so i love using it it increases my my desire to use it and my enjoyment while doing so so for me i do not regret that purchase whatsoever but again necessary absolutely not (laughs) yeah and i think a lot of anglers too to jump into lures because i know a lot of people like you look at this wall behind me it's full of lures you don't need a lot of lures Mm -hmm. the older i get the more i realize that you don't need all this stuff even like pros they'll be like, they have all these different colors and all these different sizes because money's on the line for them. Yeah. You know, the difference of like catching a fish that's one pound bigger than the last one could be a hundred thousand dollars. Right. But for the average guy or girl out fishing, that stuff doesn't really matter. Like, obviously you'd like to catch a bigger fish, but at the end of the day, if you don't, you're not going to lose a hundred thousand dollars. You don't need to go crazy. And the best way to find out how much money to spend or what baits to buy is talk to someone that's experienced in fishing. You'll notice a lot of the people you'll say, like I, I talked about, I got in, we got into musky fishing like maybe five years ago and I was I just started going nuts, just buying all these musky baits. And I started talking to like very experienced musky anglers. And I was like, I have all these baits. Like what? And they're like, you don't even need all that. You need like this, 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 and this. Like four or five things and maybe get a few different colors of each. That's it. That's all you need. 
and we're going to get more into that about like how to choose a presentation, but don't go nuts with the lures. Talk to someone that's experienced that will give you good tips. As talking to a salesman about like what you should buy is, I was going to say, it depends on the situation. Like some of the tackle shops, they're good guys. They're not going to make you buy more stuff, but talking to a salesman, that's like going to a car dealership and being like, oh, uh, you know, like <laughs> I, I have a whatever budget, like what car do you recommend? They're obviously going to tell you to buy the more expensive one, yeah. right? So do a lot of research before you go buy the stuff <laughs> or else you'll go broke. <laughs> One of the other challenges that I've I've personally heard a few people tell me and a lot of people said is they find it challenging finding fishing friends that are just as obsessed as them. Do you find that a challenge, Andrew? Uh, I'm not trying to find anymore because I get to fish with you. So the, the cool thing is if you have Aww. someone, if you have one person to go fishing with, that's great. There's going to be some days still you have to be on your own, but a lot of people, like you said, are having a hard time finding that just one other person that shares that passion. So I'm fortunate and I have some other friends I'd like to take out when, when I can, but yeah, you don't need, you know, dozens of, of fishing buddies to be able to enjoy your time in the lake with one other person, but it can be yeah. tough. If you're just getting into fishing and no one in your family fishes, you may be like, well, who do I talk mm-hmm. to? Right? So one great way we talked about it a bit last week is social media. If you're social on social media, there are people out there that'll be more than happy to give you tips. I mean, like I don't want to toot our own horn, but like I'm always happy to tell people on Instagram, like from the best of our knowledge, again, we're not pros, but we've been fishing many years. I'm always happy to tell people like, oh, like this is what I would recommend. If I was in your situation, I would buy this and this and this, or these baits or fish this area. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? You can find people like that out there. And how many people have you seen on Instagram? They're like, oh, I met this guy on Instagram. And then we became good fishing friends. Like we started talking, we met up and went fishing. Not sketchy. You shouldn't fish with random people, you know? Don't put on a Craigslist ad. You'll get catfished in the wrong way. <laughs> but you can find friends and and meet people that share the same passion as you. And there's tons of people out there that love fishing in Ontario. So it shouldn't be a big problem. So definitely try that out. Another option is go up to that guy that you see, see fishing on the pier and be like, hey, can we go together sometime? He'll be like, yeah, let me tell you about that. And he'll talk about the guy from Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> And you're like, there's my new yeah. best friend. You'd be surprised though, like how many times, like I used to fish off the piers a lot for Sam when I was growing up. And I almost guarantee you could walk up to almost anyone fishing on the pier and be like, hey, I'm new to this. I have a rod and a reel. I have a bunch of baits. Like, what should I throw? They'll look through your box. Oh yeah, throw that. Okay, how do I fish it? Okay, I'll show mm-hmm. you. You just cast it out, let it float, you know, let it sink down. They're not going to be like, oh, figure it out yourself. Like that doesn't happen. <laughs> Maybe if you're in a sketchy neighborhood, but from my experience, most of the, the guys and girls that you meet that are fishing off a pier, as long as you're not being super annoying, they're more than happy to help you out and net a fish for you, even if you don't have mm-hmm. a net. So if you're friendly, people will generally be friendly back. And let's say you own a boat, then it's going to be a lot easier for you to find a fishing buddy because everyone who shore fishes, they'd love to be on a boat. So, you know, don't go up and just pick up the first person you see fishing in the boat launch. But, you know, if you're talking to them online, be like, hey, like, I got a boat. Why don't we head out? We can actually get in the water and fish some of the spots you'd love to fish. And we'll just, you tell me where to go. And that, like, I, I can tell you, even Jesse and I, if we get invited out to go on a bass boat, yeah, we like to go on a bass boat. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's something that I've only ever been on a bass boat like once or twice. So it's it's always exciting. So with those guys who, you know, they're also maybe looking for a fishing buddy and they can get someone who can go out in the boat, help share the cost and, and the fun out there on the water. That's that's a match made Definitely. in heaven. So we're going to have to kind of go through these. We're, we're kind of rambling over time, but yeah. our next one is <laughs> conditions and wind. So that's a big challenge for a lot of people. I notice like a lot of times, this is like the classic, right? You work all week 
And the weather aside is perfect. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I should be fishing today. Like how many times have you said that when you're at work, you look outside and you're like, man, I should be fishing today. It's so nice. And then when the weekend comes, absolute trash. <laughs> like the weather's just like unfishable, yeah. super yeah. windy, just raining buckets. That happens a lot, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> but the conditions, especially the wind, if especially you are a small craft angler, you fish a canoe, a kayak, a small tin boat, the wind is is bad like you look at the wind you're like i can't fish if you have a bigger boat you might be like ah it's just going to be uncomfortable out there but you can still do it but if you're in a kayak or canoe that could kill you (laughs) so you that can be something that really that really sucks right like how many days have we had fishing trips planned and we looked at the wind app and we're like oh it's going to be like 45k winds then we had to cancel (laughs) yeah it happens yeah and and the cool thing is like the couple things i'd mentioned on that topic just briefly would be uh, like we talked about before, there's get a get a weather app, a wind app that will show you not only how fast the wind is, when it's expected, but also which direction it's going to be coming from. All those factors can help you determine where is going to be a safe place if there is one to go on that lake or even which shoreline you want to fish or what area you want to hit, which area might be more sheltered. But there's been many times where Jesse and I, we've we're named, oh, we can't go out in the canoe because it's 30 per hour, 30 kilometer per hour winds out there. But instead, we'll go fish for some stream trout, stream trout in the summer. So it might be, you know, last minute change, but we'll still go out fishing. We just have to choose a completely different version yeah, of it. Maybe. For sure. And again, like there's the wind is a challenge, but unfortunately, it's not a challenge that you can just be like, well, what can you do, you know, to stop the wind? You can't. You just have to adapt, <laughs> like Andrew said. The next one is we kind of cover this a bit. So we're just going to go through this quick is a lot of people find it challenging to find the time to go fishing. And again, like we mentioned, I know a lot of people are like, oh man, if you have enough passion, you'll you'll get out all the time and stuff like that. Well, let me tell you some things that make that not possible. Work. Most people have to go to work generally at least five days a week, oftentimes more. Family, kids, health problems, other responsibilities and obligations. Like for most people, you don't have a lot of free time. That's not complaining. That's just the reality of living in 2023, 2024, especially if you live in like the city. Not a lot of free time. So what we do is we really, me and Andrew will oftentimes sit down like as fishing buddies and be like, all right, what do you want to do this year? And we plan the year literally six months in advance. We'll be like, okay, I want to do a walleye trip this weekend. I want to do this this weekend. And we literally map out like generally what trips we want to do, what camping trips. And then we try to stick to that and we book everything around that. So say we have a trip like walleye opener the weekend before that. I'll make sure that I'm not fishing so I can get all the work done so that the next weekend I'm a hundred percent like clear to go. Right. Mm-hmm. I know that really depends. Like Andrew's on call a lot, which really messes with fishing schedule too, which is another work thing, right? There's nothing you can do about that. Yeah. And the schedule changes all the time. So it's not even something I can always plan yeah. for. So in reality, like it is a challenge for sure. And I think the biggest challenge about that, because generally there's nothing you can really change about that. I hate when people are like, well, just get another job. It's like, yeah, I'm going to do that. Great. Yeah. <laughs> but the biggest challenge of that is more the mental side of it, right? You want to fish, but you can't. Yes. So you really have to just try the hardest you can just to be content with the days that you can actually get out. And really those days that you can get out, make sure that you're prepared, you're ready to go. You know, you, you have everything you need to have a good, successful day on the water. And even if it's not what you're expecting, uh, take even like last year for us, there's a lot of tough days in the water. We still enjoyed our time out. I still don't regret going out because even on those tough days, look at it, you learn from it because you are becoming a better angler. Even if you're not catching things, you're learning things still in the day. So even even then, don't get discouraged if 
<laughs> if you have a year like us where it seems like everything was against you and even the time you did get out, that was it last sucked. year. <laughs> overall for weather and whatnot. But you know, we still had you look back in the year now, we had an overall decent, decent year. Yeah. Some years are better than others. And that's I'm gonna kind of melt this one into the one of these other points of the mental side mm-hmm. of fishing. Dealing with the mental side of fishing. So same thing, like you have to deal with the fact that maybe you can't fish as much as you want. Is there something you can do to change that? Maybe not. Maybe you can't because, you know, you have, you know, family and children at the time or you have some sickness or something like that or you can't change your job. Be content with fishing when you can and try to make the most of it. Don't compare yourself to other people that can fish all the time. Like we're all jealous of people that are like, oh man, I fish like four or five, six times a week. I just go fishing here and there and blah, blah, blah. That's great. But like, there's nothing I can do to change that right now. So like, just be happy with what you have and find times, like we said before, like maybe your fishing trip isn't driving hours and fishing a lake or doing all this. It might just be like after work, grabbing a carp rod and a can of corn and fishing, you know, the river mouth near your near behind your house or near a park for like an hour after work and that's all you got for the week that's still Mm -hmm. fishing it's still fun take you gotta spend time with the family go out for some you know bullhead catfish they're all over the place you can catch them anywhere but yeah take take the time and and fish for what you can even you know going for sunfish something with the kids or even just on your own just to get some fishing under your belt it like just it doesn't have to be a huge thing but that can help get away those kind of mental blues that easily build up after not fishing yeah. for a while <laughs> and and i say add one thing into this topic is dealing with the mental side of fishing if you're someone who is more competitive say you, you try to fish tournaments or you're trying to like you know always have like really good days in the water that doesn't always happen like fish the thing with fishing is you're you're dealing with a living animal that's unpredictable <laughs> generally it's not like basketball yeah. where if you're shooting hoops you can you know, practice shooting hoops and eventually get them in every time. Fishing is not like that. You could be like, oh, I always catch a bass at this dock. The bass isn't there because it's a living animal and decide not to be there that day, you know, or it's decided not to bite or whatever different factors. Fishing is not the same every time you go, but you shouldn't always expect to have the best days ever. They're not always going to slam them. Absolutely. I, I agree. Just because you can't get the same results, you can't guarantee results, doesn't mean that every day you don't go out, you can't improve. So, Let's say the fishing's slow, but you know, you can still keep fishing, but also learn a new technique, learn how to walk the dog, learn how to be better at that. Work on your casting accuracy, work on, you know, other things. You still have a chance every single one of those casts to be catching a fish. So it's not like you're putting, you're wasting any time. And now you're gaining a better skill so that you are becoming a better angler. So next time that maybe the fishing is better. And now you're absolutely sniping underneath those docks and your fishing is actually better than it would have been had you not been out Exactly. And again, like we said before, don't compare yourself to others. There's guys out there and girls that are just hammers, just natural, like hard work on their part, but also like just natural ability. Don't compare yourself and be like, well, that guy went out and he slammed like all these huge bass and blah, blah, blah. That's not you. Unfortunately, like some people will never get to that level. Try to improve constantly throughout the years. But also understand that you're not going to be like, you know, you're not going to pick up a guitar and be like, well, you know, I'm going to be as good as Eddie Van Halen in five years. Like, no, sometimes you can practice your whole (laughs) life and never be as good as him because he has natural talent. That's the difference. So just be happy with your, be happy with yourself. Only compare yourself to the way that you fished last year. Try to improve on yourself. You Mm -hmm. will get better, but just don't expect yourself to just be like, oh, uh, I started fishing or I've been fishing 10 years. I should be winning tournaments at this point. Who cares? Just fish and have fun. Fishing is about having fun. Do that. There's probably all these pros listening to this being like, that is absolute (laughs) terrible advice. (laughs) 
And that's why people are listening to two average guys on an average podcast and not listening to the pros talk about their $150,000 bass yeah. boats right now. <laughs> All right. Another challenge we're going to have to, I know we could do a whole podcast about this, but we, oh. we're just going to briefly cover this yep. one. A lot of people, and I had like multiple people say this, that the challenge they think that a lot of beginners have is not knowing what knots to know, like fishing knots. What mm-hmm. is your thoughts on that, Andrew? I know like Andrew's a knot guy. For me, I, I practice and know essentially three knots now. That's all I need to know. I have the improved clinch knot. That's for when I'm tying it uh, on monofilament. If I'm tying my braid to a leader, I have my Albright knot that I like. It's easy to tie. And if I'm tying from braid onto you know a snap or anything like that, going straight bait, braid to my bait, I will use the, the three tag knot generally. So that's pretty much the three knots. I know a few others that I'll throw in. There are some crazy knots to tie into a leader, but they're they're not necessary. You can still get out there and when I'm on the water, I, knowing and practicing those three knots, I'm now prepared for whatever I come across that day. So it, it doesn't take a lot to, to know those, but you don't don't feel the need to have to know all the knots that are out there. It's like, what's the difference between the polymer and the Rapala knot and, and the clinch knot or improved clinch knot or what's... You don't need to know all of them. Just just know, you know, do some reviews and, on whether there's some good ones. If you can tie the knot well, it's going to work better than a knot that's super impressive, but you can't perfect every time. <laughs> I trust the knot that you can actually tie yeah. properly every single time. You, you only need to know a few knots. Like Andrew, like when it comes to me, like there are certain knots that are better for different materials aligned. So like, for instance, like the polymer mm-hmm. knot is probably one of the most, most overall best knots to learn because it, it deals with fluorocarbon pretty good, braid good, monofilament good. Uh, say like the trilene knot though sucks on braid. It'll just slip right out. Oftentimes there's other knots that are better for certain things. And then when it comes to connection knots, like when you attach braid to leader, if you're at that point when you're doing that, people will be like, oh, you have to know the FG knot. You have to know this knot. And they're complicated. They're good knots, but they take like three minutes to tie and they're hard to see if you did them right. You could learn the crazy Alberto knot in like five minutes and it takes literally 20 seconds to tie and it's almost as strong. So like, don't go crazy with the knots. Learn a few basic knots and like Andrew said, learn to do them 100% correctly and that'll be better than doing like so many times when I was learning the FG knot, which is a great knot, by the way, I'd be tying it and you'd you'd finally tighten it and it would just be like and just come apart. I'm like, okay, I just wasted five minutes of my life and this knot sucked. But when you get it good, it's good. But like make sure you know how to do the knots properly. The last thing you want to do is set Mm -hmm. the hook and just have your your leader or you're not just slide out because you were a moron. Knots. Yep. We'll, we'll do another knot episode. Been that was there. a popular episode last year. We, we went into a bunch of different knots. Yes. We're going to deal with this one pretty quick. A lot of people find it challenging to decide what strength of line to use. And that's actually a really good point. I think that was uh, the morning voice that commented that one. It's hard to know that, especially because in Ontario, you're fishing for so many species. And there's if you will look at information on on YouTube or fishermen on YouTube or fishing shows, they all have their own personal preference. They'll be like, oh, I like 30 pound braid for this. And the next guy's like, I only use 65. You know, like it really depends on the on that. And like when you're finessing, like Andrew's like, oh, I used to use like this six pound braid. Now I've gone up to 10 because six was too thin. So I think it really comes down to a lot of like trial and error. Another good way to find it is just ask people. <laughs> a lot of times like you'll be fishing on the pier and you'll see some guy just casting a spoon with just super thick lines coming off. And you're like, what is that? And it's like, oh, it's like 30 pound big game. Like that is the thickest line I've ever seen anyone cast, you know? So oh, you'd be like, Hey, yeah. like I, you see these guys, like I used to work at a tackle shop. I've seen so many people be like, Oh, I want this real spool. And they're like, I want 50 pound braid on it. And it's like a, 
a spinning or like a small walleye size spinning reel and you're like, oh, what are you fishing for? And they're like, oh, bass. It's like, okay, where do you normally fish? And they tell you and you're like, you don't need 50 pound braid. That'll break your rod, right? <laughs> so I get it. It's yeah. hard, but there's lots of information out there. Like, like Andrew loves research. Research, there's so much information. If you type out like on Google, like what line should I use for this? Endless results, endless. Mm-hmm. What I would add is, is two things. First of all, we had that line episode. So if you want to learn more about the qualities of the different types of line, I think it was episode three or something was was about line that we had last year. Uh, there's a lot of reason into that. But for me personally, if I'm going finesse, I like to have 10 pound. I like to run braid pretty primarily, unless I'm doing like trout fishing. I'll run braid as my main line and I put on a, a liter of either monofilament or fluoro. So for my main line, I'll usually run uh, 10 pound for finesse, 15 pound on a, on a regular duty spinning rod. Uh, 30 pound if I'm going up to a heavier spinning rod uh, and then I run in between maybe 30 to 50 on a bait caster if I'm using that for like flipping and heavy cover. That's pretty much all I use for braid on my main line. And then I'll, that way when I go to these other, like if I'm going to change my, what line weight I want on the presentation, because I have braid in the main line, I just tie on a liter of, I want seven pound test on this because I'm you know, drop shotting or five pound test. And, oh, now I'm going to be fishing over here. I'll, I'll put on a 10 pound leader and tie it on. So that way I don't have to change my main line ever and braid lasts a long time on a reel. And then I'm just replacing short lengths of leader for whatever is best suited for that day fishing. Exactly. And like, I've, I do the same thing on my spinning rods. It's just like, for me, it's like 10 pound braid. 10 pound braid is actually a lot stronger than 10 pounds. It's if you look at the package, I was like 10 pound, it's like breaking strength 15.8 or something. It's like, okay, that's not going to break. But I think the main thing that people do wrong when they're starting out from just the stuff I noticed when I worked at a taco shop is people generally want way heavier line than they need. They'll be like, oh, I'm fishing for salmon. And they want me to put like 50 pound braid on their reel. I'm like, you don't need that. (laughs) That's like 65 pounds of strength for for a salmon. Like you need not even 20 even. 12 pound mono is yeah. great. <laughs> That's a nice heavy line for yeah. salmon fishing. So again, like we said, there's lots of information. The best way, if you're just getting into it, go into your fishing sh- shop. Don't go to like Canadian Tower. They probably won't know anything. But if you go into like one of your local fishing stores, those guys and girls are super knowledgeable. They'll they'll hook you up. They have sometimes like real spo- uh, the spooling machines and they'll just spool it right up for you. And you don't even have to do it. They'll do it nice and tight and it'll be awesome. So definitely check that out. So that is the episode for today. Before we finish, we're going to talk a little bit about the Beeline Baits giveaway. So again, Frank, super nice guy, really like him. He makes really cool baits. I'm going to link his Instagram below and you can check out some of the baits that he makes. He's, I feel like a lot of these bait makers, like I notice, they become like crazy. You ever notice that? They start off pretty chill. <laughs> Absolutely. And they're just like, oh, I'll just make some of these stick baits or swim baits. And then it just becomes an obsession. They start buying all these different molds. And eventually it's like you look through their their Instagram or their website and they're like, what the heck? Like they have everything, just like <laughs> random stuff and all these different <laughs> stuff. And then they start like getting into like painting them too and doing different pours. Beeline Baits is mm-hmm. that guy. Maybe he's not comp- He's He's gotten very good with his pouring patterns. I'm, I'm very good. I was going to say I'm surprised. I'm not surprised. Like the right. guy's good, but like. Some of the stuff I look at, I'm like, I don't know how that works. Like I had to look up how they do like the multi-thing <laughs> yeah. pours because like, I had no idea, but super good stuff. He has yeah. a really a big selection of ice fishing baits though. All like the nice little stuff for like perch and wall and stuff like that. Really good stuff. So we'd like to thank him again for being the giveaway partner for this episode. 
And if you're interested in supporting a local shop, we would really appreciate it if you do. Again, we're not affiliated with Beeline in that way, but every sale you get will go directly to him, which is exactly what we want. So definitely check him out. Everything's linked mm-hmm. below. You do want to buy some stuff and send it to us. No, just kidding. Don't do that. We have so much baits. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we thank you guys for listening to this show. We enjoyed ourselves, and you learned a little bit about my arch nemesis, the snapping turtle. <laughs> but before we go, we just have a few housekeeping things i forget what they're called housekeeping yeah yeah it's called that yeah it's normally yeah, what you call housekeeping. it i'm not saying it's correct but it's normally it what is you call called it. housekeeping so again <laughs> we would like to thank all of our patreon members we really 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 appreciate if you are a patreon member and help us um basically pay for the show because there are expenses to producing this weekly show there's a lot of like programs and stuff like that that we have to use to edit and upload and host the podcast as well as equipment and stuff that we have to buy to run the show. So we do appreciate you helping us cover some of the costs for the show. If you would like to do that, if you're not doing that already, the link below inside the show notes will take you right to our Patreon page and you can help us out by buying us a cup of coffee every month. But me and Andrew might have to share, so be generous. (laughs) Just kidding. But we do appreciate all of our Patreon members, (laughs) every single one of you. We really appreciate it. We also appreciate everyone that leaves a review. And if you're listening to this and just enjoying it, we appreciate you listening to this. We do have a little bit of news. I just wanted to toot our own horn a little bit. So we took off about, what, five weeks, six weeks at the end of the of the year last year. So we, we went straight yep. through every yep. week since like February. So we took off a few weeks before season two. So when season two started, our, our ratings were really bad because we hadn't posted in five or six weeks. And I was kind of like, oh man, it's going to take a while to get back like, you know, where we wanted to be. And uh, the ratings have a lot to do or the rankings have a lot to do with like, you know, individual downloads, reviews, you know, all those, those metrics, how much those companies push our podcast or will feature it in the search engines yeah, as well. Exactly. It, it changes where that, where it shows up and how soon it will show up when you're scrolling down. Yeah, the list. Exactly. So I'm always like watching the rankings, not that it really means anything, but you always see like at the top in the Canadian wilderness top or the, the category, which is what our podcast and most fishing podcasts and hunting podcasts are rated in. So that category is all fishing, hunting, outdoors, horseback riding, mountain climbing, everything outdoors in all of Canada. So (laughs) we've had such good support from you guys listening. We're actually generally after we release our podcast a few days after we're in the top 10 in all of Canada, which is fantastic. Actually, this week I looked at it. We were number four. It's like meat eater, meat eater, (laughs) someone else, average Ontario anglers. That was awesome. Then I looked again. We were down to 19. I was like, dang it. Just kidding. Because it changes throughout the day. But every minute it's like, I think it updates like maybe once or twice a day. But anyway, it was really good to see us in the top 10 (laughs) up there with some of the big dogs. That's amazing. We really appreciate your support. Like, you don't know how much that means to us because like we put so much hard work into this podcast. And I know we get a lot of messages from you guys saying like how much you enjoy the show, which is great. But seeing it also in the charts as well. It's amazing. Super cool. So we do appreciate that. (laughs) Before we end this episode, we do have the quote of the week. And to handle that, the man with the beard, Andrew. Don't be afraid. You can outrun a turtle.